you can try to change your behavior and you can try to change your outcomes and you'll get some traction, but until you change identity, you really don't hit that bedrock of transformation. Hey, my name is Katie Bulmer. I was your typical heartbroken and hungover sorority girl who looked for love in boys, Bacardi, and did I mention boys? After the breakup that broke me, I met the only man who can truly fulfill me. His name is Jesus. Shortly after that, I met my husband, the best example I have met of Jesus on this earth. Today, I have never been more sure I am right where I'm supposed to be on a mission to help today's young women find their life calling, stop dating dirtbags, and basically just be who I needed when I was younger. I've been called a big sis, an adopted mom, or my favorite title, a cool aunt. But however you think of me, get ready to be challenged and encouraged. This is the Truth For Your 20s podcast. Hello, my name is Katie, and this is the Truth For Your 20s podcast. Today, we are talking with my new friend, Justin. And Justin has such a great resume. I know I'm going to leave something out if I try and do it. So Justin, if you don't mind just introducing yourself and a little bit about what you're up to these days. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be on the podcast. Uh, Grateful to be with you for a little while. Uh, Like Katie said, my name's Justin. And uh, yeah, just uh, I'm a pastor of a church in the Northeast in New Haven, Connecticut. And uh, we love it here in New England and seeing a whole lot of people meet Jesus and a whole lot of change happen. And so we have... uh, we have nine campuses right now across Connecticut, Massachusetts, and uh, yeah, having the time of my life. Love my wife of 17 years and uh, four kids and my dog. And so that's that's the quick, quick little glimpse of my life. The quick rundown. I love it. Yeah. And I've been married 17 years as well. So oh, cheers wow. to that. Oh, that's exciting. Cool. That is. <laughs> we only have two kids though. So you have your hands full, but I love how you kind of help people grow in a lot of ways, but specifically spiritual. And a lot of times I do online mentoring and I talk to a lot of girls who maybe grew up with some faith or knew something about a death on a cross or a Noah's Ark or, you know, just kind of the basics. And they don't know what, how that applies to them or how they grow. And so I'd love to, you just kind of talk to the girl who might be interested in how do I start growing my faith? Like, what does that even look like? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think, um, Many, many, many years ago, you know, famous uh, preacher Augustine, you know, said that our hearts are restless and they can't find rest until they find it in God. And I've found that to be true with hundreds of hundreds of people that I've talked to, interacted with through the years, that there is something inside of all of us that is just restless. There's something inside of us that longs for the transcendent. We want something more than a nice life and a beautiful marriage and a good job. Uh, We want to touch the eternal. And it's because God made us that way. Ecclesiastes in the Bible tells us that God put eternity in our hearts. And so there's something inside all of us that's trying to reach beyond the natural realm. And it's because, you know, Katie, you and I and every human being from every culture across planet Earth was hardwired to need God. You know, um, a number of people throughout the years have used that illustration of a God-sized hole, that there really is something inside of all of us that only God can fill. And so I think that's where spirituality starts is an awareness of our need, you know, an awareness that we do need God. And, um, 
This is the introduction of what the Bible calls the gospel, which is actually news, right? Good news. And it's the news that God can be found, that he's not far off, that he's not distant, that he's not aloof, but there is in fact a God who can be known. And uh, that's where we start to explore the person of Jesus and a God who can actually be known and we can have relationship with. That's so good. And I love what you said there that we all have that, you know, I've heard it said the God shape whole. Yeah. And I've also heard it, you know, that we're all made to worship. And maybe right. you can yeah. unpack that too, because we see this everywhere if we think about it, because people are worshiping celebrities or money or Facebook likes or, or whatever it is. And totally. how easy to be entangled in these temporary worshipers, idols, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, totally. I would love for you to unpack that for a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, I think that deep inside all of us, there is a sense of awareness that we're not quite sure who we are. And, uh, you know, our culture tries to give us handles for how we can develop an identity. You know, well, you can build it around your career or build it around your friendships or build it around your looks, your appearance. And so all of us are, you know, in our various different ways, attempting to construct a stable identity. Uh, the challenge, though, is that all of those things are fragile. And so if you're beautiful and then you get into a car accident and your, you know, body is mangled, have you lost your identity? If you're mm -hmm. talented and then you break your legs and you can no longer play that sport or run that fast, have you lost your identity, right? And so all of the identity markers that culture provides are, are made of hay, you know, they just burn, they, they crumble, they fall. And so uh, what our hearts really need is to be loved. And this is where the good news of Jesus is so powerful. It's that it fills that void of love that our hearts are looking for in relationships, in accolades, in all the things, like you said, that we make into idols, you know, that we try to have those things give us a sense of worth, a sense of identity. And even religion plays into this, right? So a lot of times, in our religion, we'll say, hey, you know, if if you're a good person, if you do a lot of good deeds, then God will accept you. He'll love you. You'll be, you know, you'll go to heaven. But the truth of Jesus actually contradicts the concepts of man-made religion that says, be a good person and God will accept you. And the Bible teaches that because of Jesus, God accepts you fully on the merits of Christ. And so when Jesus hung on the cross, he did it as a substitute for me. And so now I'm accepted, not because of what I do for God, but because of what he's already done for me. And so the whole paradigm of my identity switches from, I have to, you know, earn a value by what I do to I'm bestowed a value. I'm given a value for free by what he's done. And so when the love of Jesus becomes the bedrock of my identity, then I can stop worshiping all the good things he's given me and instead actually enjoy them. So, you know, my identity is not based on whether my career goes, you know, uh, well or not. My identity is not based on whether my marriage is perfect. My identity is based on something much deeper, which is that there is a God who loves me. And so when that becomes my foundation, every other aspect of life finds its proper place. Yes. I mentioned this recently, but that identity is, is huge, huge. <laughs> because, um, so for example, and this is related, I promise, but, um, if someone is trying to quit smoking yeah. and someone offers them a cigarette, they say they've done the studies on this. And the people who say, no, thanks, I'm not a smoker versus yeah. the people who say, no, thanks, I'm trying to quit. 
the people who say, no, thanks, I'm not a smoker, they say, I, I don't identify as a smoker. Therefore, they have a 60% higher chance of, you know, avoiding that temptation. Yeah. And it's just that simple language. And when we come to know who we are, like you said, we are a child of God. Like we are this person, you know, created with purpose by yes. a divine being. Yes. Unpacking that changes everything because like, oh, well, why would I, you know, treat another person this way? What I, why would exactly. I treat myself this way? Why would I act that way? Because you start to under, understand your identity. So oh. I think we could have three podcasts about just that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and maybe just so camp good. a little bit more like, yeah, what does it mean to look in the mirror and know your identity in Christ? Oh, that's so good. Yeah. I think a lot of us, we're trying to make changes in our lives, right? People are listening to this podcast because, you know, maybe they want to get healthier or maybe they want to create a personal growth plan or all the different things we all try to do to improve our life. And those are good things. I love, maybe you're familiar with it. Uh, James Clear has a book called Atomic Habits that I reference in my book where he he talks about this idea that um, you can try to change your behavior and you can try to change your outcomes and you'll get some traction, but until you change identity, you really don't hit that bedrock of transformation, just like you were saying, right? And so it's not just enough to say, I go for runs. You have to actually believe I am a runner, right? Yeah. And so the more you identify with that truth, the more naturally the behavior flows. All of that is actually just a shadow of the truth found in the Bible, that the truth in the Bible, which is much deeper than convincing yourself that you're a runner, is that you are a person loved by God. And you might think, well, you can't prove that. Actually, you can. And Jesus Christ coming to earth, dying on the cross, rising from the dead is the bedrock evidence that God loves me. And so if that's actually true, if I really am loved by God, now I've got an identity switch, right? That I'm not an accident. I'm not a cosmic collision of molecules. I'm not a mistake that my parents made. None of that is true. I am foreordained, providentially birthed by God on planet earth as an eternal soul. And if that's true about me, if that's really true, then it doesn't really matter as much what my boss says or what Instagram says or what anybody says because I've got this deep-rooted affection that comes straight from God. And actually, that's where the book starts, this idea that any growth in our life comes first from this revolution of identity on the inside. Oh, my goodness. I'm My pen's on fire over here taking these notes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it. I love it so much that understanding that's who you are. And like you said, and life is going to come. You're not going to get that oh, job. Yeah. You're not going to be chosen by that cute boy or that cute girl. Right. Like stuff, stuff is going to happen, but at the end, and that's going to hurt. We're not going to take away and say, you know, that, that stuff is going to hurt because that's the human experience, yep. but getting underneath that and realizing who you are in God just makes it so much better. Oh my goodness. It makes it actually possible to thrive. You know, like in the Bible, there's all these like crazy things that they say, you know, like, Rejoice in the Lord always, or God gives peace that surpasses understanding. And and all of it just sounds like fairy tales until you start to understand the love of God in Jesus. And as you do, you realize that those are not just like nice, silly things that the Bible says. They're actually accessible promises, promises that you can take a hold of when you start to believe what God says about you, which is that you're a creation in his image for his purpose, with glory that displays the goodness of God on the earth, and that you're unique, that God's never made anybody like you, and that he has expressed 
his beautiful nature through you in a way like he has in no one else. And so when that actually becomes kind of like the bedrock of my life, wow, we can really go somewhere, you know? Yes. Yes. And amen. Um, you mentioned this and I don't want to pass by it, that how Jesus basically took our place on the cross. And I know when I was 20, I may have heard that somewhere. I may have seen it on someone's t-shirt, but I didn't fully understand it. And I just don't want to pass this opportunity because I'm sure there's someone out there listening who may have been like I was and like what that actually means. Cause I think when you understand that, then you can't help but fall in love with who this man named Jesus is that we're talking about. Totally. So, you know, the scripture says that the great problem of the human heart is what the Bible calls sin. And sin is something that we do and something that we are. Okay. So when I lie, I sin. So that's an action, right? When I, you know, am selfish, I sin. Those are actions. But deeper than those actions is something broken in my nature that I don't, you know, sin, but I'm a pretty good guy deep down, I actually sin because I'm a sinner. And so inside of me, there's this, there's this brokenness. And so within every person, there's a conflict, right? It's the desire to do good, this conscious awareness that you want to be a good person and this inability to actually produce that goodness consistently. And so, you know, we fall into two categories. We either change the rules and convince ourselves that what we do is not that bad, right? That's a really popular one. Or we run to some type of religion to try to ease the guilt and the shame that comes with our fallenness and our brokenness. And so whether we change the rules and kind of create our own thing, or we run to religion and try to make, you know, and convince ourselves we're good enough, neither uh, course will ever actually produce peace. And so in the midst of our brokenness, God came. He came in human form, which that alone is the craziest idea. You know, it's either pure silliness or the most important thing that ever happened on earth. And I think every person, you know, it's worth wrestling through. Do I actually believe that God became flesh and lived as a human? Because that's what Jesus claimed, right? Either he was crazy or it was actually true. He lived a life that was perfect. And so never once in his life did he disobey or dishonor God. And he did all of that so that he could become a substitute. Like we all remember in school, like when we had a substitute teacher, right? Where they would kind of step in and take the place of the teacher and, uh, and you know, try to make the class work even though the teacher wasn't there. In the same way, Jesus stepped in and took our place before God. So the Bible says that when he died on the cross, in God's eyes, it was as if I died. It was as if I paid for my sin. So the sacrifice of Jesus paid for my sin on the cross. And, you know, theologians for for generations have called it the great exchange where God gave us the righteousness of Jesus and Jesus received the sinfulness of us. And so there was a swap that occurred on that cross so that Jesus took all of my sin and I took his record so that now when I trust in him, God sees me like he put on sunglasses, like through the lens of Jesus. And so now everything about how he sees me is through the righteous record of Christ. And I'm no longer judged based upon my merit. I'm now judged based upon Christ's merit. And Jesus rose from the dead so that we could know eternal life is actually ours, that we will also live forever because we've trusted in him. And so, I mean, when when the Bible calls it good news, like, it is either the most ridiculously good news ever spoken or 
it's an absolute and complete fallacy. And I think every person, you know, this whole idea of like, well, I go to church once in a while and I kind of experiment, like we don't really have that option. Like either this thing is true or it's just absolutely ridiculous. So I think every person owes it to themselves to explore and determine, do I believe that this is true? And if it is, it gives you the very foundation for living. Yes. A Lord liar or lunatic, right? That's what yeah, I heard. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, old C.S. Lewis. That's right. That's it. It was yeah. I can't remember if it was him or Josh McDowell, but yeah, oh, Lord he stole liar. It. Yeah, Josh McDowell stole it from C.S. Lewis. That's oh, he great. did. <laughs> That's good. So, but yeah, I love what you said. You know, I'm not here to tell you, but you invite, I invite you to go wrestle with that, you know, do the homework. And, you know, right. as we just mentioned, C.S. Lewis and Josh McDowell wrote a lot of books on all this. Um, yeah. More than just a carpenter is one that I read as a new believer. Yeah, because, great. yeah. And, you know, it, is this God, the God I heard about in Sunday school, is this God, you know, um, the one I say my prayers to before I go to sleep, or is he completely life changing and the greatest love story the world has ever heard because yeah, yeah, I mean like that, that's what you said. And so one of the things that you talk about is kind of like what you mentioned, this is more than just a wear su- something clean on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's more to it than that, than just this hour on Sunday morning and yep. you know, the seven habits of exponential spiritual growth you talk about, I would yeah. just love for you to, what does that mean? You know, as these 20 somethings are trying to figure out this isn't my parents' faith anymore, this is mine. How do they grow in that? Where does that start? Yeah, for sure. So um, in this book that just came out, Barrier Ordinary, what I did was I just took the big question of what does it mean to be intentional about spiritual growth? And I gave it some really specific, really clear handles. And, you know, for me, this book came out of 20 years of living, practicing, and then replicating both of my own life, life of my friends, life of a small community, and then the life of a church. And uh, and watching this very intentional practice just produce incredible change in people's lives. And so, you know, I think um, one of the one of the questions you have to ask before you even dive into the habits that I outline in the book is, you know, what is my life really all about? You know, like what am I shooting at? And if my ultimate goal is to be, you know, the CEO of a company, well, then this book is not going to be very helpful. But if I begin to think about my life as not just obtaining something in the natural, like being a CEO or being a mom or being a dad, which are great things, but instead I begin to realize that real life is found in knowing God and in living in the center of his plan. When that becomes my new definition for success or my new definition for what it means to have a good life, well, then this book becomes incredibly helpful because now it says, okay, if knowing God and finding his purpose for me is really the center of what I want to do with my life and who I want to be, then how in the world do I learn to know him and find his plan? And so what this is going to do is it's going to give you a pathway for discipleship or spiritual growth where now incrementally and intentionally, I begin to incorporate into my life certain habits. And like anything in life, habits have the power to really shape my future, right? That when I do something consistently, uh, it, it changes me in ways that are unexpected. And so spiritual growth, in the book, I talk about this idea that spiritual growth ultimately is not knowing Bible verses, or like you said, going to church on Sunday, which knowing Bible verses and going to church is great, but spiritual growth is actually learning to love. It's learning to love God more, and it's learning to love others more. That's what it means to be mature. So if learning to love is the essence of spiritual growth, then how in the world do you intentionally grow in love? 
Well, what I've discovered through practice and of course with the scriptures as the guide, uh, I've found that these intentional specific habits stretch my heart to grow in love. And then when I grow in love, I actually grow in God. And that's why, you know, the book, I, I call it Practical Habits for a Heart Fully Alive. Because I think a lot of people, we're only living half alive. We're only living a quarter alive. And there's whole parts of us that are just dead because we haven't really learned to love in a bigger way. If you like this podcast, you will love my online mentoring. And I have three options for you. You can one, book a call with me. I made it super easy. You can grab my calendar, find a time that works for you. Boom, it shows up on my calendar. We get a call together. It's super fun. I love meeting girls from all over to help walk them through dating or finding your faith or finding your voice or whatever it might be. Option two, I have a pre-recorded little mini course called Make a Dating Plan. We talk about just dating with intention, walking into dating with a healthy best foot forward. And option number three, I have a more in-depth pre-recorded class called From Heartbreak to Happily Ever After. It has four different modules walking through how to get over a heartbreak, how to heal, how to walk into dating with intention. We have a shame-free discussion on sex and what matters to you. And then 17 things I've learned in 17 years of marriage. I've got some great feedback on this course and I would love to share that with you as well. So check all the details and my link in profile on Instagram or my website. That's katiebulmer.life. Need a speaker for your sorority or women's event? It is not too late to reach out to me and we can put that on the calendar. You can find all the details at katiebulmer.life. That is so good. Yeah. And I think that that's so true. We, we numb, whether that's totally what, yeah, you know, trying to, we have to caffeine to stay awake and then some help to go to sleep and, you know, something to scroll to keep our brain from functioning or to, to think really to think too much. We just want mindless activities and, and that's normal. That is just normal right now. And that's not how we're made to thrive. And I, I love that you're unpacking that. So burn your ordinary. What hmm. a beautiful title. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay. So one thing I want you to talk about is yeah. um, the foundational habit to start your day. You talk yeah. about that and I yeah. want to hear about it. Yeah, for sure. So uh, for everybody listening, you know, I wonder um, what's the first thing you do when you get up in the morning? I think it's like 80% of people. The first thing we do is we check our phone, right? And so, you know, maybe you shut your alarm off or you scroll Instagram or you check Facebook or you check your email, or you check your text messages, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what are we doing? Like the first thing we're doing is we're just filling our minds with other people's agendas, right? Other people's plans, other people's problems. And listen, we care about those people. That's wonderful. But Whatever you do first in your day really does set the trajectory for your whole day, you know? And so there is, and you know, um, I've heard it taught many times as this idea of the law of the first, and I found it to be very true in my own life, that whatever I focus on first, it sets a course for everything that follows, okay? And so like, you know, wrestling with, okay, what am I going to do first thing in the day? So some of us, we eat breakfast first thing. Some of us, we go and exercise. You take a dog for the walk. You get the kid up from bed. You know, whatever your situation, maybe you study right away if you're fighting to pass this exam. Whatever you do first, it shapes the rest of your day, right? And so one of the things I wrestle with in the book is if real success in life and real joy in life is found in knowing God, then what if we gave the very first part of our day to him? Now, if anybody's grown up in the church and they kind of have been a Christian for any length of time, 
they've probably heard someone teach on devotions or having a quiet time or whatever they've called it in your circle of Christianity. But this idea of spending time alone in prayer, that's a wonderful thing. Um, it's interesting. The more I talk to uh, individuals about this, the more I find like that it's one of the great myths of Christianity, that a lot of people talk about having daily time with God or starting your day with prayer. But when you actually kind of get into people's lives, about 95% of people I've interviewed, and that's probably hundreds of hundreds of hundreds of Christ followers through the years, are spending 15 minutes or less centering their heart on Jesus on a daily basis before they launch out into their day. So that means, okay, we're spending an average of about four hours a day watching TV. We're spending countless hours, two, three, five, six, seven hours a day on our phones. How's that 15 or 10 or five minutes going to compare to all the other things that are just fighting for your attention? And so the very first habit that I challenge people towards to completely mess up your ordinary routine, right? To bury it, to just get rid of that ordinary routine in your life is to devote the first hour of your day to be alone with God. And uh, in the book, of course, I give a lot of handles for, well, what in the world would I do for an hour? That's a really intimidating idea for some people. They think, I can't pray or read the Bible for an hour. I can't even make it five minutes. So I try to make it really practical for how do you how do you actually devote the first 60 minutes of your day? And of course, for many people, that's going to severely mess up our routine. means you got to get up earlier. means you're not going to get to the gym on time. It means you can't stay up that late watching TV the night before. It's really going to you know, mess up all kinds of things about our routines. And so this first habit of 60 minutes alone with God at the beginning of the day uh, is honestly the most, one of the most revolutionary habits that anyone could consider. And I would just challenge anybody listening today that if you'd even think about that, try it for 30 days, just 30 days, you take the first 60 minutes of your day and spend it alone with God and watch what happens. And of course, the next question is usually, you know, what in the world do I do for 60 minutes? And that's some of the stuff that I unpack in the book to help people really begin to practice that habit uh, in a practical and helpful way. Wow. I'm Okay. So 60 minutes alone with God, the beginning of a day for 30 days. That's a, that, a challenge you can get your handles around. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, I've done this at this point now with hundreds of hundreds of people and, uh, you know, it's, it's funny because of course, you know, like the first few days, it's like, man, I tapped out after 10 minutes. I couldn't even focus. I just started, I just picked up my phone. I couldn't resist, you know, like I had to check my Instagram. I had to, you know, I had to, you know, I slept through it and all this and there's no shame. The idea behind these habits is not to like, you know, do these things and God will really like you. Like, no, no, that's a misunderstanding of, of what we already talked about, which is the gospel, which is God loves you. He's already proven that you don't have to earn his love. This is about your own heart growing in love. And so when we have these 60 minutes, it's the time that God actually starts to reshape our hearts and that brings, you know, greater joy. Oh, you're challenging me, but brother, and I like it. I'm picturing Priscilla Schreier in War Room and how (laughs) at the beginning, she's like eating chips and like, you know, in La La Land. And then she got serious about it and it was amazing. <laughs> I'm telling you, it, it's hard. You know, it's hard. Like, you know, I remember when I first started, uh, I, I was like 15 minutes was my max. I had like severe ADHD. I just couldn't focus. I couldn't stay on anything. And then I eventually built up to 30 minutes and then I built up to an hour and then I built up to two hours. And I realized that like, just like any muscle, the discipline of being alone 
is something that most human beings have neglected their entire lives. And so we don't know how to be at home with ourselves. And this is the beginning of our problems because there's so much noise and clamor. We never really learn to center and because we don't ever learn to center and, you know, the, the Christian, the American Christian answer is like, oh, give God five minutes, our daily bread, read a little bit. And listen, God bless every attempt for people to pursue God. I'm for anything. But I think that oftentimes we're just not willing to rearrange our lives for the sake of uh, really knowing God. And I think until we do, we're only robbing ourselves. Yes. I was talking to a girl just the other day and she was essentially asking it was rule-based questions. Like, well, yeah. if I do this, is this enough and blah, blah. And I'm like, I think, you know, you're asking the wrong questions. Um, Mo Isom, she always says something I really like, and that's, it's not about behavior modification. It's about heart transformation. There you go. And again, that's not like, so God can be like, you know, looking down. Oh, good job, little Johnny. Check, check, check. You know, that's no, right. it's, he already loves you. It's like, you know, as a parent, and I'm sure you feel the same way. We're not sitting here like, Oh, good job. I love you more because you did your chores. Like, no, we, they're already, we cannot possibly love them more. If they never did anything, quote, right, we cannot possibly love them more. But we want so much for them. We want them to grow, want them to mature, and want what's best for them. And in that, this is how we grow with this discipline. So, well, I think, you know, it gets back down to like the very center of the whole Bible and the truth of the Bible. And it's, it's the antithesis of, of man-made religion, right? So like our religion tells us, you know, um, if you obey God, then you are accepted, right? Like if you obey God, I've talked to a million people, you know, do you think when you die, you're going to go to heaven? You know, yes, I do. Why do you think that? Well, because I'm a good person. Okay. So in other words, you think because you obey God to a certain extent, then you will be accepted, right? Now, the only motive for obedience, if that's true is duty or shame. It's never joy and gratitude. But if God's already accepted you in Christ, if he's already forgiven you of every future, past, and present sin because of the blood of Jesus, if that's really true, then out of acceptance comes an actual longing for obedience. And so now my obedience doesn't flow out of guilt, shame, or duty. It flows out of gratitude, joy, and love because I realize that God is life. And I want to be more like him. And so this is kind of the secret of learning to do any of these disciplines is that behind it, there has to be grace, not law. And, and grace drives us to actually desire God more. Yes. And something you said that I wrote down, you, I need to show you my notes when we're done with this. I have a full page <laughs> of notes. But that I wrote down was really powerful. And that's mess up your routine. And yeah. I really like that. And I think that we all need to have our our plans and our routines or whatever messed up in all the ways they need to be messed up. Right. And one of the things you talk about that isn't talked about enough is a Sabbath. And, yeah. you know, we've already rocked some people's worlds by encouraging them to spend an hour, <laughs> you know, yeah, starting yeah, yeah. their day with God. So while we're messing up everyone's routine, I would love to talk about the Sabbath. This is something, like I said, even in Christian circles that is neglected or not talked about. Tell me what you know about the Sabbath. Yeah. So I, I've, I've actually become convinced that the Sabbath is, um, is the one of the Ten Commandments that for whatever reasons Christians have just, you know, removed and turned into a suggestion, right? So you can ask followers of Jesus in America, you know, do you think it's right to murder? No. Lie? No. Steal? No. Uh, you know, uh, dishonor your parents? No. Take God's name in vain? No. 
okay, do you practice a 24-hour Sabbath where you do not work for that chunk of time every single week, one out of seven days? And, you know, radio silence, right? Yeah. Like, like it's just no one even takes it seriously anymore, which is a direct disobedience to the command of God in the big 10. I mean, in the 10 commandments, right? Honor the Sabbath. And so I think we've fundamentally misunderstood uh, how God made people. So like, you know, you buy, I just bought a power washer, right? And, you know, I used to, in my earlier days, just pull it out, put all the pieces together and fire away, you know? And I didn't even think that, oh, there's this instruction guide. Maybe I should read it, but you know, I'm getting a little older. I'm out of my twenties now. And I'm actually learning like, Hey, five minutes with that instruction guide could save me 150 bucks, you know, breaking this thing. And so I took time and I read it and I learned how to use a power washer with this particular style and how it was set up. And then I went out and I used it and it worked perfectly. So often we don't realize that God has wired humanity in such a way that we need consistent pause. We need to stop. And so now we've built a world that doesn't stop, right? The news cycle doesn't stop. The phone doesn't stop. Uh, the expectations don't stop. And we're so afraid that if I stop, I'm going to fall behind. I'm going to miss out. And so the Sabbath is our declaration against this deceptive world that tells us you always have to go. And so what does it look like? It looks like for me, it's Friday night because I'm a preacher. So Sunday's a crazy day for me. Friday night at about 5 p.m., my wife and I light a candle. And from 5 p.m. on Friday to 5 p.m. on Saturday, we just slow down. We don't take ministry calls. We don't answer our phone. We don't respond to text messages. We don't do work. We try our best not to do our shopping, grocery shopping, laundry on that day. That is a time for just three things. We pause, we pray, and we play. We have a whole lot of fun because we have young kids, so life is crazy. You know, So we have a whole lot of fun. We take a special time just to set aside and focus on God. And then we just stop. We just stop from the chaos. And what I've found and for me, this is a much longer journey for years and years and years. I neglected the Sabbath completely, but it's just been the last five years that it's been for me a very important part of my life, but God had to get my attention in a big way before I ever changed. But taking that intentional stop every week is actually now working with the cadence of how God created us. And so rather than fighting against my own nature, I'm now working with the design that God has for us. And what you find is, wow, I'm more rested. I'm more peaceful. I don't get as anxious. I'm not as fearful. I sleep better at night. All these things that we've been trying to fix with a pill or with a, you know, a therapy session, we now see that just the Sabbath begins to bring this healing to every other part of our life because you're now stepping into a cadence that God created you to have. I love the power washer example. <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm the same way too. I'm like instructions, shim schmutchkins. Yeah, who needs those? Forget them. <laughs> Throw those bad boys away. Totally. But you know, the frustration, the not knowing what I'm doing, the Googling, the broken parts, I, it could save myself a little trouble. And as you compare that to the Sabbath, yeah, uh, duh, let's remember God made our bodies and made us to work in a certain way and totally. to get frustrated and not work. Um, when we, you know, take them out of the way they're created. So, oh my word, that's powerful stuff. And you mentioned this a little bit, but I would love to know how long have you practiced this and what do you yeah. think God has taught you along the way? Yeah. So, um, 
What a wild ride, right? You know, in my 20s, uh, I, I met Jesus as a teenager before uh, I got to my 20s. And I spent my 20s just, you know, in ministry, doing everything I could to serve God and completely neglected the Sabbath. You know, I had no idea. You know, I, I kind of adopted the very kind of uh, normal, typical American mindset, which is bigger is always better. You know, going faster, faster, faster. Everything needs to be going up and to the right. Everything needs to grow. Everything needs to reach more people. And it's all for Jesus, you know. And so it was like the American version of following Jesus. And uh, and yeah, by the time I got to my early 30s, um, things started breaking down. You know, the, the way it happened with me is it wasn't so much psychological as much as it was physical. I wasn't able to sleep uh, very well. And so this went on for a week and then two weeks and then three weeks and then four weeks. And it got to the point where for over a month, I really hadn't slept more than an hour or two. And I just couldn't stop. I couldn't slow down. And it was that physical breakdown that finally got my attention where I was getting to a place where as a 32 year old, I just couldn't function anymore physically. And, uh, and I couldn't fall asleep. And God, I mean, it's like my own stupidity, right? But God had to bring me right to the brink of like physical breakdown to the point where I finally started asking some guys that I trust that are older, that have been in ministry longer, what's wrong with me? And, you know, I love that phrase that I've heard many times people say that like when you move at warp speed, you warp your soul. And what I was realizing is that in all my movement for Jesus, I was actually warping my own soul. And I... I had not been willing to submit to limits. I had thought that, you know, limits are like from the devil, you know, like, oh no, God is limitless. He can do anything. And though that's true, he created us with limits. And so learning to actually submit to those limits, um, it didn't decrease my effectiveness. It multiplied my effectiveness. Uh, But for me, those first probably two years of practicing Sabbath, Oh, it was terrible. It was like wearing high heels, you know, like I've never really worn high heels, but it was just like, (laughs) it was like doing something that you're like, my foot doesn't fit in this. I'm not built for this. This isn't right. It was just, it felt weird. I was clumsy. I couldn't figure it out. I was always fighting against it. I was always overscheduling. And uh, finally, little by little by little, my heart started to learn. You need this habit in your life. um, If you're ever going to, uh, for the long haul, stay healthy. I want to put on a t-shirt. You just said, essentially, God is limitless, but we are not. Totally. I mean, that's like a, you know, it's like a totally obvious thing that for some reason our hearts uh, don't embrace quickly. Yeah. When we applaud, you know, it was impossible to get it lower than a five minute mile. And then we crossed, it was impossible to go to space. It was impossible to fly. And all of that is great. And I'm here for it. But we still have limits and we are still not God. And I think that remembering the design versus the designer um, is a pretty powerful thing. It's a humbling thing. And uh, and it forces us to kind of come to the end of ourselves, you know. And, and what we realize is that it's an upside down kingdom. And so the weak are made strong, right? The great are humbled. And so this is the model of Jesus who was the highest of the highest and he came and became the lowest of the low. And so in the same way, we have to embrace that it's actually coming from that place of weakness that I find strength and coming from that place of dependence that I become free. And so um, the Sabbath teaches our hearts that uh, over time as we submit to it. You are so fascinating. I'm loving this conversation. Um, One more thing I want you to unpack is learning to make disciples. So 
you yeah. probably heard it said, you know, listeners like make disciples and make disciples, share your faith. All that sounds good. But what does that mean on a college campus? What does that mean if you're still trying to figure out your faith yourself? Um, what would you say as it relates to what it looks like to make disciples? Yeah. So my, my discipleship journey uh, actually started on my college campus. Um, crazy story. I, I, I led a guy to Jesus who was uh, one of the running backs on the football team in my college. And uh, we moved in together in a room and then eventually got another guy from the football team in our room. And there were four of us in that room just learning what it meant to follow Jesus. And by the time I got to my senior year, I was living with nine guys in a two-bedroom apartment, all these new Christians, just absolute insanity. And then uh, two weeks after graduation, I uh, I got married. My wife and I had someone come and live with us. We bought a two-family house. And before we knew it, we had nine people living with us in oh, that wow. home. Then our best friends bought the house right around the corner. And within a couple of years, we had 12 different houses with all these people, all, most of them new followers of Jesus, figuring out what it meant, learning, growing together, hanging out together right in the heart of the city of New Haven. And so for me, you know, um, discipleship is, is really the process of following Christ. So just to demystify that word, that's all it is. It's, it's the process of becoming more like Jesus, following Jesus with your life. And so what I've found to be so important is discipleship is a life on life, flesh on flesh type of endeavor. In other words, it doesn't happen with books and, and, you know, just, uh, you know, sermons. It happens with people. It happens when two people sit down over a cup of coffee and are honest. It happens when we're consistent in each other's lives, where we're frequently seeing each other, frequently rubbing up against each other, annoying each other, having to work through it. That's what discipleship is all about. It's it's all about the mess. I mean, we look at Jesus, right? And his model to change the world was to just get 12 guys, hang out with them mm -hmm. for three years, and then die and rise again and go to heaven. I mean, that was the plan. The plan was people. It was always just the messy, sloppy relationships that actually change our hearts. And so uh, the last habit that I talk about in this book, the seventh habit, is to build a circle of discipleship. And what that really means is to find two or three people and just commit to one another that we are going to help each other grow spiritually. We're going to meet regularly in some type of a small group, and we're going to commit to grow spiritually. And so, I mean, I do this with four other guys. We get together early in the morning on Thursdays, and we just hash out stuff in our lives. We ask each other hard questions like, hey, what sin have you committed in this last week that you're struggling with? What is God speaking to you in your life right now? Um, what is one area where you feel like you are challenged and you can't seem to overcome? We ask each other these hard questions and then we encourage each other, pray for one another, hold each other accountable. And that's what discipleship is. It's that process. And so the last of the habits is to find a couple other guys, if you're a guy, a couple other girls, if you're a girl, and work through these first six habits together. And as you do that, what you'll find is the growth multiplies way faster than when you do it on your own. Yes. And I think that that's so powerful too. Like you said, you know, you're a pastor, you're doing incredible things for the kingdom, but you are also growing as we all are. Tough, and I think that right. a lot of people say, oh, I can't talk about my faith. I can't lead others because I don't have all of Leviticus memorized or something ridiculous <laughs> like that. Like yeah. all you need to know is your story and, and a desire right. to grow. And I think that that qualifies you. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, the most powerful thing that anybody can share 
is just their story. And I think some people think, oh, my story's not cool because, you know, like I didn't like go to jail or I didn't like, you know, and it's like, that's absolute foolishness. Every single story is amazing. Every single story is amazing because it's not just about what happened to you. It's also about what's happened in you. And when God does work in you, he set me free from that fear. He walked with me through my depression. He kept me through that anxiety. All the things he does in us uh, is also part of our testimony. And so every person that's ever encountered Jesus has something to share. Yes. And I, when people say that, I don't, I have a very vanilla story, so to speak. I'm like, that's the story I want for my children. That's a good story. That's a beautiful story. That's the best story. Yeah. I know. Exactly. So I just love everything you're doing. Tell us about your new book. Tell us how we can get all of the goodness that you are putting out there in the world. Yeah, no, thanks, Katie. Uh, This, uh, this book honestly just came out of, um, practice like for for the last 10 years at our church and the last 20 years in our ministry um i've been tinkering with this process of discipleship like which habits should we practice first and second and third and what should we focus on and how do we do them and how do we really kind of like harness uh growth and um and so finally you know after doing this for for the last 20 years um some of the friends in our church were like we got to get this down on paper and so we decided, you know what, I'm going to devote some time, put this in a book, and hopefully be able to bless people with it. So buryyourordinary.com, buryyourordinary.com is where you can get all the information. You can buy it at Amazon, anywhere books are sold. But uh, but yeah, the whole idea behind this book is just to give someone a very practical resource to say, hey, I want to grow spiritually, and I'm not totally sure what to do. Um, this is like the ABCs. It's easy. It's direct. It's specific. And it'll give you something to really hold on to and work on as you grow in your walk with God. I love that. And what about social media, all the things on the interwebs, how we can follow you? Totally. Yeah. So uh, the church has a ton of website or a ton of uh, information on the website as well. That's voxchurch.org. And then, uh, you know, Facebook, Instagram, everything's just Pastor Justin Kendrick. So Justin Kendrick spelled just the way you think it would be. And uh, you'll find me on all the different related platforms. to Anna, I'm sure, right? Anna no, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm not related to Kendrick Lamar. I'm not related to any other Kendrick that I know of that anybody's ever heard of. But uh, but I'm sure they're all wonderful people. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. Well, she will yeah. teach you the cup song. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Well, I absolutely loved this conversation and I'm sure our listeners will too. And I apologize. I did not warn you about this, but I always like to ask our listeners before they go, if you could have coffee with your 20 year old self, what would you say? Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's a (laughs) great question. Yeah. I think, uh, I think if I was going to have coffee with my 20 year old self, um, I would tell me, um, it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. That's good stuff. I think my 38 year old self would say it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be, worth. I don't know what my 58 <laughs> year old self, God willing, I get to be there, but would say, but my 38 year old self would say it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. I love it. And take a Sabbath because you don't know it all. And take a Sabbath, <laughs> you dummy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd probably tell him that that would have been a really good thing to learn at that age. That's awesome. Well, Justin, such a pleasure. I can't wait to share this episode. And thank you so much for being here. Oh, Katie, my my honor. Thanks for having me. 
I'm over here giving you a virtual hug because you just finished another episode of the Truth For Your 20s podcast. Would you help a sister out and take a screenshot right wherever you're listening and share it on your social? Give me a tag at Katie Wilmer Life so I can give you a big thank you. You sharing it, you leaving your reviews on iTunes is the best possible compliment you can give. Hey, let's continue to hang out. We have a private community called Truth For Your 20s over on Facebook. So just go to groups, search Truth For Your 20s and come join the party.